A story is told that one Sunday morning, um, Dad had not showed up for breakfast. So his wife went into the bedroom and shook him and said, Honey, get up. It's time for church. You need to get ready. He pulled the covers over his head and said, I'm not going. I'm never going back there. And she said, Why on earth not? He said, Well, those people are mean to me. They don't like me. And I'm just, I'm not going back. She said, Honey, you have to go. And he said, Give me one good reason why. And she said, You're the pastor. Okay, so it's probably apocryphal, but I imagine there have been times when pastors have felt like that. Look, the reality is we all struggle with work. We all struggle with our jobs. Uh, We're always looking for jobs, trying to keep them, losing them, uh, wishing we had a different one, um, being frustrated with our bosses, being frustrated by the fact that our employees don't seem to like the way that we manage. We all struggle with work. And Paul, while he is addressing bond slaves, by extension speaks to everyone who is in a relationship of either authority or under authority, which applies to every one of us in this room, right? We all have spheres where we are in authority over someone else, even if it's a bigger sister in charge of a younger sibling, right? Uh, And we all serve others. And so Paul's words, I think, are really helpful and relevant to us today. Look, we belong to Christ, right? The Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer one. Our only hope in life and in death is that we belong to him. And if we belong to him, then even the work that we do during the week belongs to him and is a way that we can bring glory to him. So three words this morning. First of all, a word to the church about work then a word to employees, and then a word to employers, managers, and supervisors. First of all, a word to the church about work. You recognize, of course, though it's not in our passage, uh, but in the back of Paul's mind is the fact that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, the Lord establishes a pattern that we will work Because he has worked and is working still. Every breath you and I take, every morsel of food that will pass our lips today is evidence of the mighty working of his hands. And because we're created in his image, we work as well. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. That creation mandate has never been repealed. In Genesis 2.15, we are told that the Lord said to Adam that he was to keep and to guard God's temple garden. And while certainly those Hebrew words shamar and abad had reference to cultivating the garden so that it would um, fulfill its intended purpose, uh, Dr. Bill Dennison, whom I believe some of you know, Uh, in his wonderful article entitled The Eschatological Implications of Genesis 2.15 in Reason and Revelation says that it also speaks to defending the word of God against all intruders, has an apologetic purpose as well. And we talked last time I was here 
about the fact that we're always to be ready to give an apologia, a reason for the hope that we have to those that we meet and to do it with gentleness and respect. Now, obviously, our work, Adam's work, was impacted by the fall. One of the consequences of the fall was that the ground was cursed, and there would be this tension-filled relationship with our jobs uh, for all time, right? And, and let's be honest. There are parts of our jobs that we love. I love students. I absolutely deplore paperwork, filing reports that I am sure no one will ever read. Um, if I could simply teach students and never have to file reports, I would be happy. But my job requires both. I bet that's true of you. No matter how exciting your job is, there are parts of it that are going to be frustrating, parts of it that are going to keep you awake at 3 o'clock in the morning, uh, parts of it that you will pray for God to take away, maybe even your boss. Not, not permanently, just move them somewhere else. Um, and that's part of the consequences of the fall upon our work. But here's the thing. As we said last time, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, that tactical phrase referring to our union with him, that even now you and I are seated in the heavenlies with Jesus. I don't know how to quite understand that, but I believe it because the word says it's true. We are a new creation, and that means that the Holy Spirit, who gives us the gifts that we use, both our spiritual gifts and our natural talents, and there is considerable overlap there, um, is redeeming the work that we do to the glory and praise of God. God establishes the work that we do. Psalm 90 the psalm of Moses, the man of God, uh, ends in this way. And I encourage you to read this this week as you go to work. Um, he says, May the favor of the Lord God rest upon us, establish the work of our hands for us. Yea, establish the work of our hands. Isaiah 58 uh, talks about the power that God gives us so that we can do our work. Uh, you may not have realized this, but Shabbat, the Sabbath, is a gift. It's a gift. It is God's precious treasure entrusted to us that we can come together morning and evening and worship the Lord and take a break from our daily work. Now, obviously, if you're a law enforcement officer or a nurse uh, or in the military on active service, there may be situations where you're required to work on the Sabbath. But for the vast number of us, this is a day for us to recharge and to refresh. And here's the promise that the Lord gives about the power that he'll give us the rest of the week. Isaiah 58 verse 13, if you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride upon the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. You want to be ready for work this week you take today as a day of worship and rest.
Not saying there may not be Sundays when your ox is in a ditch. But make it a practice, a joyful practice, that the Lord's Day is a day to be empowered for his calling upon you. The Reformers talked about this wonderful doctrine of vocation. Calvin uh, particularly loved to talk about it, that, that our callings, whatever they are, and, and they're, they're multifaceted, right? Our respective callings are the ways in which God is both blessing us by providing for us, but also the way that he is making us a blessing to others. They are eternally significant. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, right? Stand firm, for you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And I know what you're going to say. Well, Paul isn't thinking there about work, ordinary work. He's talking about ministry. But it's interesting that in Colossians 3, 24, when he says, you are serving the Lord Christ, uh, to those who are working under authority, slaves working for their masters, bond slaves working under their masters, that he uses the same word that he uses in Acts 20, 19, when he says to the Ephesian elders in his farewell, you know how I labored in the Lord amongst you, talking about his pastoral ministry. And in Matthew 6, uh, verse 19, when Jesus says, you cannot serve both God and mammon, the exact same Greek word. Don't make a sharp distinction between sacred and secular. Our lives are lived coram Deo. They're lived before the face of God. And the work that we do is a gift from God, given to us in part as a way that we can offer worship to him in the things that we do every day. C.S. Lewis, in his uh, famous um, talk called Learning in Wartime said that the work of a Beethoven and the work of a charwoman, someone that cleans houses, right, uh, become spiritual on exactly the same condition, that of being offered to the Lord. B.B. Warfield said, if you want to be a religious person, this was his talk on the religious life of theological students, it begins by doing your duty, your simple, ordinary duty right in front of you. He says, I don't care if you like it or not. Forget talking about being a religious person, a religious man or woman, if you will not do that which God has placed in your path to do right before you. And then he goes on to say, so I quote this to my students every year, if you're a student, you fundamentally worship the Lord by studying hard, diligently, faithfully. My first job out of high school uh, while I was a student at Wheaton College was not very glamorous. Um, I got a job working in food service, uh, cleaning pots and pans after the day's food service had ended. This was before Teflon, um, back in the time of Noah and the ark. And so some of these pots and pans would have it caked on and burned on so hard that I had to take a chisel to it to try and get it off. And I was not very happy. I was up to my neck in greamy, gross water and Brillo pads and scrubbing away and muttering under my breath that uh, someone with my ability should not be doing such a thing. And my roommate, um, 
said, you need to read Brother Lawrence. And so I got a hold of Brother Lawrence's little book on practicing the presence of God. And what I learned is he worked in a kitchen, too. He was an Augustinian monk. He worked in a kitchen. But while he worked, he prayed. He prayed for all the needs of the people he knew. He prayed for the community. He prayed for the glory and the name of Jesus to be made manifest among the nations. And people came from miles around to talk to Brother Lawrence because he was someone who knew what it was to walk with God day after day. Aura et labora. Sometimes our kids wear shirts with that. Pray and work. Don't skimp your work, but as you work, you pray. You offer it to the Lord. And the most extraordinary thing happens when we begin to see it that way and begin to do it. Um, George Herbert said, A man may look at his work as he looks at a pane of glass, seeing nothing but the glass, or looking through it to the heavens beyond. For thy sake, as unto the Lord, right, Paul says, A servant with this clause makes drudgery divine. Who sweeps a room as for thy laws makes that and the action fine. You want to make tomorrow's drudgery divine. You wake up in the morning and say, Holy Spirit, I don't know what you've got for me today. But as I go about my work, whether it's in the house or it's in the office or the factory or the research lab, flying a jet, I don't know what you do for a living. Offer it to the Lord as your act of worship and see how it transforms. And while you work, pray for your co-workers, pray for your bosses, uh, pray for God to use your company uh, as a way of blessing others. Pray and work. Now, Paul is going to get very specific, though, so he has a word for Christian employees. Just to remind you, Bond slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, don't be eye servants, the King James said, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Right? Paul will say to the Thessalonians, rejoice and give thanks in every situation. Guys, that includes work. For this is the will of God for you, right? This is the will of God for us. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good they do, whether slave or free. So, actions. We are to obey those in authority over us at work with respect And Paul says, with fear. It's a strong word, but it's not your boss you should fear. It is the Lord Jesus to whom you will give an account of how you loved him and honored him by loving and honoring and serving those he put in authority over you. Look, I know that can be hard. Sometimes there are bosses who are not worthy of their office. My brother-in-law worked for 45 years in the business world as an executive. He had some um, managers over him uh, on a couple of occasions that decided to make his life absolutely miserable. They cut his budget, they cut his team, they doubled his workload, 
And each time he did the same thing. He said, Lord, you're in charge. Um, Help me to pray for my boss. And if it be your will, please move him to another division. But if not, help me to do my work faithfully in serving him as I serve you. And in each situation, the Lord did resolve that situation. I can't promise that will always happen, but, but the attitude is spot on, right? We serve the Lord Christ. And so we obey and we respect those in authority over us with sincerity of heart, not with resentment, not with grumble bunny um, attitudes, but with a heart that is oriented to the Lord who has given us this job, perhaps as a means of our sanctification, but surely as a means of blessing others. Serve wholeheartedly, right? So you have actions, but you also have attitudes. Wholehearted faithfulness, thankfulness, Paul says dependence upon the Lord in prayer. Uh, The reason I had us read the Heidelberg Catechism today about the um, section on the fourth request, give us this day our daily bread, means do take care of all of our physical needs so that we come to know that you're the only source of everything good. Beloved, your job, your profession is not your supply. Don't ever get confused about that. It is the sphere of service God has given you, but the Lord is your supply. When I was a young attorney, it was the Lord that was my supply. When I became a missionary, it was the Lord that was my supply. In the pastorate, it was the Lord. At the college, it is the Lord who provides abundantly for us. And we are to serve with thankfulness wholeheartedly, dependent on prayer. Paul will say in Romans 12, verse 1, I beseech ye therefore, brethren, sorry, King James, by the mercies, right? Because of the mercies, offer yourselves as living sacrifices. Do you think he's talking only about Sundays? No way in context that he can be, right? It's, it's your logikos, it's your reasonable latreia, service, Worship can be translated both ways because to serve is, in fact, to worship the Lord who calls us to serve. To be transformed by the renewing of our minds, not being conformed to the way that grumble bunnies in the office think about their work, but to see our work as part of what God is doing in this generation. So we're to be faithful. We're to do it wholeheartedly. Um, We are to do it in ways that show that we understand that God is in charge. Um, Martin Luther, and I realize that as Reformed folks, we don't often quote Luther, but this is too good not to to mention. Uh, Luther says, what else is all of our work to God, whether in the fields, in the garden, in the city, in the house, in war, in government, but just such a child's performance by which he wants to give us his gifts in the fields, at home, and everywhere else. These are the mask of God, behind which he wants to remain concealed and do all things. Students will sometimes ask me what kind of music do I like, and um, 
occasionally I'll, I'll, you know, obviously I say the great hymns of the faith, right? Give me the Trinity hymnal and the Psalter every time. Um, but I'll confess I actually like jazz. And one of the greatest jazz musicians in history was John Coltrane, who in 1965 um, put together a project, what we used to call an album, a record album, called A Love Supreme. And in the liner notes, he wrote this, This album is a humble offering, an attempt to say thank you, God, through our work, even as we do in our hearts and with our tongues. May he help and strengthen us in every good endeavor. And I stole that last phrase from my sermon title, right? Every good endeavor you and I seek to perform brings glory to God. It transforms the way you see counting paper clips, right? Or buying snacks for, um, for the, uh, the team that's going to be memorizing scripture, right? It, it may be humble work, but in the Lord's mighty hands, it is a mighty work that he is doing. Well, that's employees. Let's talk about those of you that are in authority. And all of us are at various times. Uh, Paul will say, Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. And he's referring here back to verse 21, which says, Submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. We have a master, Jesus Christ, right? And so recognizing that he is our master as he is the master of those that we have authority over, we are to treat them as he has treated us. Paul says with regard to actions, don't threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with them right? Um, You're to avoid abusive behavior, abusive speech. You recognize that they are image bearers. They serve Christ even as you serve Christ. Colossians 4.1, Paul will say, treat them justly, treat them fairly, treat them as God has treated you. And if you're saying, well, this sounds very unpresbyterian, I beg your pardon brought my Westminster Confession of Faith because I unfortunately don't have the larger catechism memorized. I should. Do you know that back in the day, ministers of the gospel um, coming uh, for ordination had to know the larger catechism? Now now we just have to know the shorter. Um, But the larger catechism is wonderfully rich. It's a much neglected resource. What is required? Question and answer 129 of superiors towards their inferiors, not inferior in dignity or worth, but in position, right? Someone that you have authority over. It's required of superiors according to that power they receive from God and that relation wherein they stand to love, to pray for, and to bless their inferiors, to instruct, counsel, and admonish them countenancing, commending, and rewarding such as do well, and discountenancing, reproving, and chastising such as do ill, protecting and providing for them all things necessary for soul and body, and by grave, wise, holy, and exemplary carriage, 
to procure glory to God, honor to themselves, and to preserve that authority which God hath put upon them. I once heard um, a manager in a Christian organization talking about his employees say, oh, they're just plug and play, right? Just plug and play. And maybe you've heard other believers say to you, hey, it's not personal, it's just business. Beloved, for the servant of Jesus Christ, and you and I are bond slaves to Jesus, it's always personal to him, and it ought to be personal to us. If you are a manager, a supervisor, an employer, you have a duty before the Lord to pray for your employees, to give them the resources they need to do their jobs, to encourage them, to train them, to mentor them, to show them by your godly example what it looks like to be a man or a woman that walks in the ways of the Lord and procure glory to God. That is your calling, not simply to increase the bottom line, not simply to improve and increase efficiency. You are, in a word, called to shepherd them. And, of course, the catechism wonderfully talks about their duties towards you. They should be praying for you. Uh, They should be supporting you. They should, as the author of Hebrews says, talking about the, the elders in the church, Um, Make their labor a joy, not a burden. Each of us has reciprocal duties. But our work, our daily duties, are one of the primary ways that we give glory to God. When when Dr. Palmer um, was actively practicing optometry, she was pointing an intimation of the new eschatological creation reality when all the blind will see again. Right? Uh, if you're an attorney and you're working in the courts uh, in Madison County, you are pointing, uh, intimating that justice that comes from the Lord who said, do justice and love mercy and walk faithfully and humbly with me. If, if you're a teacher, you're training up the next generation, and even if it's in a public school context, you can teach truth and you can live out truth in such a way that your students and their families will want to know what makes you tick. Serving the Lord in the military, in making films, in writing songs, in producing widgets, in serving customers, providing goods and services that are a blessing to communities, and employment that enables families to thrive, building communities while representing the Lord Jesus in a strategic place, where your pastor probably won't get a chance to speak. I, um, when I ride on airplanes, when I, when I was a lawyer, people always wanted to talk to me, right? They always had a question. <laughs> now the conversation goes something like this. Well, what do you do? Well, um, I teach. Buying for time, right? Well, what, what do you teach? I teach students. Well, what do you teach to students? Theology, Bible, all of a sudden, The earphones go on, the book comes up, end of conversation. But there are no barriers with you, right? Your co-workers, when you get the opportunity, no, look, I'm not saying take time away from your duties to evangelize them. Take them out for coffee afterwards. But if the opportunity arises, pray for them, right? And even if you don't pray with them, be lifting them up throughout the day, be shooting up arrow prayers to the Lord. 
recognizing that he who has placed you providentially in that place is calling you to be all for Jesus in that moment. Um, my best example of what this looks like in practice, uh, particularly for an employer, was the administrative pastor that came to work at our church in St. Louis. Uh, Kathy and I had returned from the field. I was the associate pastor of uh, missions, both domestic and global. And about a month after I started, Duncan came. Uh, he had been a, an executive vice president at Ralston Purina, started off in the fields, got out on the tractors with the farmers, uh, hearing about their needs and finding products that would make their life and their work easier. Uh, had moved up the um, chain uh, to become an executive vice president. And after his retirement, he wanted to use those gifts. So he came, because none of us on pastoral staff had those gifts, uh, he came to help make the place actually function and operate. He showed up, and he didn't take the corner office, right? He went in the workroom, the break room, and sat down in a folding chair and put his laptop on the table. And when anybody came in to get coffee, he'd say, hey, come on over, sit down, let me talk to you. Tell me what you do. Uh, what do you need to do it better? Um, how can I help you? And then he would pray for them. He spent the first six weeks just getting to know people, didn't say a word, didn't do a thing. And throughout his time there, that was always his heart. He was a John 13 servant leader, right? He would, he would take off his badge of office and get down and wash the feet of those who reported to him so that Jesus would get glory. And I know he prayed for us, because I know he prayed with us. Beloved, that's, I don't know what you want on your job. That's the kind of person I want to be. Not a grumble bunny who is so task-oriented, I forget why it is I'm doing the task but someone who wants to love and serve Jesus every moment of every day. Even that 40 plus hours a week, we devote to our jobs. Would you pray with me? Father God, looking out over this congregation, I can only imagine the gifts and talents and abilities, um, the positions of responsibility that are reflected here. And I pray that you would Bless each one and use those abilities to your glory, that you would make them a blessing in their place of calling, that you would use them, Father, to advance your kingdom, even as you use them here in your body, the church. Father, may that be so to your glory, we pray in Jesus' name.